Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Diabetes. A lot of people may not realize the implications of this diagnosis, but there's also a lot of folks who don't know that this is something that can be prevented. And there are easy ways to go get tested. You don't even need to fast if you want to go have your blood tested to see if you have this condition. Today, we are going to be talking with two excellent folks that I know, Dr. Mariana Gershenson. She is an Associate Dean for Research and a professor at John A. Byrne School of Medicine. And Dr. Marjorie Mao, she's the Principal Investigator of the Diabetes Prevention Program in Hawaii and a professor in the Department of Native Hawaiian Health. And they are both going to help us demystify how to get diagnosed, what to do, and how does having diabetes get affected in this current COVID pandemic. So thank you for joining me, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's start first with the idea that, you know, a lot of times folks think that we're not doing a lot of clinical research here in the islands, even though we have this multi-ethnic population that is prime for learning things in medicine and doing investigations. Some folks think that the stuff that's going on right here at our medical school is not really as good as what they might hear about on the mainland, but that's definitely not the case. Dr. Gershenson, tell us a little bit about the center that's working on doing research right here, luckily at home. So um, the University of Hawaii at Manoa was awarded in 2017 a Diabetes Research Center grant from the National Institutes of General Medicine. And I am the director, and Dr. Marjorie Mao, who's with us, is the deputy director. And the purpose of this grant is specifically to train young faculty in the field of diabetes. So we have everything from faculty members to postdoctoral fellows to students, approximately 20 young scientists that we've trained. Now, we are right now getting ready to recompete that grant, And the whole goal is that we'll have this grant for 15 years so that we'll actually be able to create this critical mass. And our center has been approved by the president of the university. So the other goal of this center is to uh, have a centralized entity. You know, we don't have a centralized place in the university, in the state, where doctors and scientists, we can all interact about diabetes. So we have members from Queens, from HPH, which is Straub, Kapiolani, from Kuakini, who were all able to get together in the VA to talk about, you know, diabetes. And last year, February, right before the pandemic, we even had our first scientific meeting. Now, the center has a very broad focus. So we move the spectrums, everything from being non-diabetic to being pre-diabetic to understanding diabetes, diabetic complications, type 1, type 2, as well as studying, you know, doing basic science, which is like studying cells, all the way, you know, and genetics, all the way to studying different organs. Um, We do everything from genetics, where we're looking at the multi-ethnic cohort study, and we're trying to understand, you know, what is, you know, what's happening in our community. Um, For instance, we have one young investigator, Dr. Michael Corley, who's worked with Dr. Mao, where they've looked at diabetics and non-diabetics, and they've been looking at genetic changes, what we call epigenetics, and 
where the DNA, it's chemically modified. And one of the differences that they found is that they found that antioxidant genes are decreased. So, and then on the other spectrum, we have someone like Tyler Ray, who just published in Science Translation. And Tyler, who's in the College of Engineering, what he's doing is he's actually looking in sweat. So he actually has like a Band-Aid sensor that you can use to measure what's going on in sweat, which is very non-invasive. And we're hoping that that could, you know, replace like these continuous glucose monitors that are being used or could be used for studying complications. So there's all sorts of things that are just going on here in Hawaii uh, that, you know, folks don't realize that, you know, we're here. Well, I think in addition to physically being present, you've just talked about that unique collaboration between what's going on in bench research, what's the latest and greatest in fields, even like engineering, and how do we combine that and integrate that with some of the some of the actual real-world treatment of people? How do you get the patients to do research? Well, if they're right there in your neighborhood and you have this collaboration of different physicians of all different medical centers, that's where you can find your population. And it sounds really exciting. I mean, if I was somebody who was young and just diagnosed with a condition like this, I'd want to know that I was in the midst of the greatest research that was happening on this condition and able to take advantage of some of these collaborative efforts. It sounds pretty fantastic. Dr. Mao, what has been your role in the center? And you focus a little bit more on prevention these days. So trying to capture the patients before they become diabetic, what are some of the ways that people can really focus their efforts on trying not to get this condition, let alone learning how to treat it when they have it? Right. Um, aloha, ahi, ahi, everybody. I'm uh, Marjorie uh, Mao, and I'm an endocrinologist, and I actually did switch over to the field of prevention after about 15, 20 years of being in clinical practice. I had a clinical practice on Molokai. Um, and saw a number of um, patients with diabetes, and they taught me so much about what it's like to live with diabetes. And I realized over all those years that the prevention of diabetes must take um, a big role in what we do in research to try to find answers to prevent uh, the disease itself. So I'm currently um, the principal investigator for the Diabetes Prevention Program Outcome Study. It's a NIH-funded study that's been going on for about 23 years, and I um, assumed the PI ship from my colleague, uh, now retired, Dr. Richard Arakaki, another prominent endocrinologist at the John A. Burns School of Medicine, now retired. And... Um, what I've learned from um, being involved in this study is that there's a huge uh, push nationally to better understand how to turn back um, individuals who are pre-diabetes and hopefully prevent permanently or postpone the onset of type 2 diabetes. So we have about 45 to 50 patients, uh, our participants, I should say, here in Hawaii who have been uh, faithfully involved in our study for more than 24, 25 years. So I want to do a call out for all those uh, regular individuals who make the uh, commitment to volunteer for our research studies. It's really incredibly important 
And our center is actually really important to the national efforts because we're very diverse. Um, we bring um, a, a composition of participants that's not normally seen in the continental U.S. And um, we're also um, uh, affected by um, type 2 diabetes. But there is good news. I want to tell everybody out there that... Um, because of the diabetes prevention program and many other public health programs, that the number of new cases of type 2 diabetes is actually going down in the United States. And that's been measured now since 2012. So for the last eight to nine years, the number of new cases of diabetes um, is going down nationally. It hasn't been as dramatic that you see in some racial groups um, for instance, blacks and Hispanics have not uh, benefited as much from the lower number of new cases. But give us time. I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, we'll, if we keep on this course, we'll be able to prevent um, a number of new cases in all racial and ethnic groups. Well, I love to hear the positive news. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about an easy way you could go get tested and what can you do if you get diagnosed with prediabetes? What does that mean? And what are the ways you can prevent it from progressing? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have on the line Dr. Mariana Gershenson. She is the Associate Dean for Research and a professor at John A. Byrne School of Medicine. She's focusing on diabetes in Hawaii, doing research in diabetes and also in COVID. And how is that potentially going to interrelate with diabetes? We also have Dr. Marjorie Mao on the line. She is the Principal Investigator of the Diabetes Prevention outcomes trial here in the islands and she is a professor in the native hawaiian health department right before the break we were talking about the potential to prevent progress prevent progression or delay the progression of diabetes uh, dr mariana if somebody wants to go get tested to find out if they're diabetic there are some simple and easy ways they can do it how might they do that um it is very easy first of all you can just go, you don't have to go to your physician you can go to these minute clinics, which, you know, or these clinics that they have in Walgreens or in CVS, and you can get tested and you can get your glycosylated hemoglobin tested. You don't have to be fasting or anything. And now the recommendation by the federal government is that if you're 35 and you're overweight, you should be tested. I mean, that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And it really is important to get tested. I don't think that most people realize that, you know, 10% of individuals in the United States and, and in Hawaii are diabetic. And we're talking, and I, and I am focusing on type 2 diabetes. Um, type That's a large number of folks, right? It's a lot of people. And then we have 37.1%, 410,000 people in Hawaii with prediabetes. 
So, so the easiest way to find out, you can go to a Minute Clinic. Right. They will do testing on site. You could also see your primary care doctor if you have one, and they can do testing. And that this is a screening tool that is used if you have risk factors or if you're over 35 and might not be at the perfect height and weight for what you should be, then you can be tested. And in fact, some workplaces now offer testing as part of a healthy work uh, environment. So they try and make sure that people have this opportunity to be tested. So it sounds like there's certainly not a lack of locations where you could find out if you have it. But some folks may not realize exactly what diabetes is. How would you define it? Okay, so diabetes means that you have too much sugar in your blood. And the reason that is, the primary reason is, is that you have an organ in your abdomen called the pancreas. And when you eat, it secretes insulin. And that insulin then tells these glucose receptors, sugar receptors that you have throughout your body to come and get the glucose. You're going to use that sugar to make energy. That's how we move. That's how we do things. And but the problem is, is if you have too much sugar, then it binds to stuff and it sticks to stuff and it clogs things up, which is why you see the complications that you see when someone you know, the blood sugar is very, very high, and you see problems like, you know, you'll see problems with their eyes, uh, which is, you know, we call diabetic retinopathy. You'll see problems with the kidney. In other words, anywhere where there's small, you know, blood vessels, those things can get clogged. Um, you know, when things in your body, when there's too much glucose, um, it also binds to things in, you know, like proteins, things that are in the cells and on the cells and just clogs the whole mechanism up. The other thing with people who are diabetic is they usually have increased fat in their blood and they usually have increased oxidative stress. One of the things in my research group that we've been studying and that we've shown is that when you're pre-diabetic, you don't use oxygen very well. Well, you need that oxygen and that glucose to make energy. Because one of the things about once you become diabetic is, is that you don't make energy as well. But on the good side, you know, if, if your hemoglobin A1C is starting to creep up, and especially as individuals get older, because approximately 25% of people over the age of 65 are uh, diabetic. But, you know, there's a whole bunch more that are pre-diabetic. There's things you can do. You know, one is look at what you're eating eat healthier, exercise. But the other thing is we also have really great medication. We're in a very different place than we were 10 or 20 years ago with the types of drugs that we have, whether it be drugs like the biguanidines, if I pronounced that correctly, the biguanidines, the biguanidides, which are drugs like metformin and also the glucagon-like peptides, which you can take orally or by injection. I mean, we're in a much... I mean, the drugs that we have now are really great as far as for treating um, diabetes. So not everybody ends up on insulin anymore. And I know that Dr. Mao can talk about that more. So, Dr. Mao, if somebody does get that diagnosis, let's say they take uh, Dr. Mariana's advice and they go to 
their primary doctor, they go to a minute clinic and they find out they're in this pre-diabetes category. Uh, You're doing the research right now to try and figure out what are the keys to help those folks from developing or progressing into diabetes. What have we learned so far? What are some of the key ways they can avoid having this sticky sugar and these sticky sugar complexes deposit in places in the body? Pretty much every organ I can think of can get affected by that. What are some of the keys to making sure that it doesn't get worse? Right. So the evidence, the best evidence we have does come from the Diabetes Prevention Program Outcome Study. And um, what it showed in the first three years uh, profoundly is that lifestyle and a modest amount of weight of 5 to 10% of where you started, so about 7% from where you started, was able to prevent the onset of full-blown diabetes if you were in the pre-diabetic phase. And actually, over the 22 years, that has proven to be the case, um, that lifestyle is actually stronger in some ways than the pill that was tested in the diabetes prevention program, which was metformin. Now, metformin, as everyone probably knows, is um, the first-line treatment for people who are diagnosed with diabetes and in the DPPOS, in the DPP study, we actually used metformin as one of the treatment arms and compared it with lifestyle and placebo. And it turns out that lifestyle is better. So I always, you know, tell my patients um, that it, the, the DPP actually showed that lifestyle, what you can do in your own day-to-day lives, was stronger than a pill that I could prescribe for you for diabetes or prevention of diabetes. And that, you know, should give people a sense of empowerment that they can really make a difference. I think what we've learned is over the years is that easier said than done, for sure. Uh, Anyone who's tried to stay on a weight loss uh, diet and try to keep those pounds off, even if it's just 5%, um, it's not easy. And so right now, the state of prevention research for diabetes are looking at other um, issues related to, for example, um, brown fat and white fat and beijing of your white fat. Um, They're talking about the time that you eat. Uh, Time-restricted eating seems to be an important component for keeping uh, your weight off. Um, A brown fat is actually the kind of fat that we all have when we're under the age of about nine And it burns calories instead of store calories. It's a certain kind of fat that we all have, and then it goes away as we get older. Um, So people are looking at uh, also the role of exercise. Because if if you've ever tried to exercise to lose weight, you'll understand how challenging that can be. And so we're learning uh, in terms of, you know, maybe it's important to know what type of exercise you're doing or when you're doing it. And these studies are still ongoing, um, and, and so the, the jury isn't out yet. But I, I think the take-home message is really that um, don't discount how much you can make a difference in preventing diabetes, not just in yourself if you have prediabetes, um, but even in your family members, because there is an inherited component, a very strong inherited component if you have type 2 diabetes. So that's um, really important to know. 
Well, it sounds like there's a lot of information that we still need to share about this topic. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how all is not lost. If you have progressed into diabetes, what are some things you can do to modify your diet and maybe help encourage those in your family and around you to work on their healthy eating as well? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Mariana Gershenson on the line. She's the Associate Dean for Research and a professor at John A. Byrne School of Medicine. And Dr. Marjorie Mao, she's the Principal Investigator of the Diabetes Prevention Program in Hawaii and a professor in the Department of Native Hawaiian Health. Right before the break, we were talking about how to get diagnosed if you're concerned about your sugars and what to do if you have some early signs of maybe this pre-diabetes category. You were talking, Dr. Mao, about how lifestyle has much more of an impact than people realize. In fact, doing exercise, but monitoring your diet. You know, I always find it depressing when you get on some of those machines at the gym and you look to see how many calories you're trying to burn. And then you look at whatever you've eaten and you're like, wow, I didn't even burn off half that muffin at lunch. You know, so it's sort of this this fact that you have to realize is that exercise is great. But it can't, you can't out exercise your diet if you're not watching and being very careful. So, you know, you mentioned that there are some studies that are ongoing looking at those folks trying to help maximize how to prevent the progression of diabetes. But for those folks who have already gotten to that point where they met the criteria for diabetes, you know, I like to tell people all is not lost. As Dr. Mariana mentioned, there's a lot of great new medications out there, better than we had 10, 15 years ago. But there's also some ways that people can modify activities. And, you know, I like to say it, you don't have to be perfect, but just a little bit better than you were the day before. And there are some caveats that you've given some family members. You know, we love to have those Pauhana gatherings. And sometimes that makes it really hard for those with medical conditions to feel like they can be part of the celebration. What sort of things can they do to still feel like they're part of the party and can enjoy themselves and maybe help some family members along the way. Right. Um, well, we, we actually learned quite a bit from our community members in terms of the, the, the culture and the context in which we're trying to care for our diabetes by eating healthy and also being part of our family gatherings, as you mentioned. And so one of my... Um, Colleagues uh, and and, and uh, healthcare providers once told me, she says, you know, I always volunteer to bring a dish that I know I can eat, and I always bring my own water, so that if there's juices or things that are not good for me because I have diabetes, um, there's always I don't have to make a big fuss about it. And so there are these, you know, accommodations that people make um, um, and um, and still be part of the the party that they're at. Um, I, I, I think the other thing about uh, what people need to think about if you're living with diabetes is that healthcare providers and the American Diabetes Association has also um, expanded the approach in which healthcare providers should consider what is the best treatment for your diabetes. 
and they take into consideration not just what the studies show, but actually um, your ability to, to uh, the cost of medications is really important. Uh, some of the medications actually can promote um, weight gain. Um, and, and so that can also be another consideration when they choose the, the, the medication or combination of medications to treat you with. And, and there are, like Mariana mentioned, there are now uh, 10 classes of oral medications. There's two non-insulin injectable medications, and there's five different insulin analogs that are available now. And when I first started out, there were maybe three or four different categories. In 1956, there were only two different oral medicines besides um, two oral medicines for diabetes, and now there's 10. So you know that we have progressed over time, and I, I, I would encourage folks to really have a frank conversation with their primary care provider and tell them, you know, issues that you face about even the risk of falling or unable to know when you're low blood sugar, what we call hypoglycemic awareness, is incredibly important to choosing just the right combination for you if you're living with diabetes. Well, it's great advice, particularly because your needs may change over time. And so we have to make sure that we accommodate for that. There may be times when your sugars go higher and times when they go lower. Which brings me to my next question, Dr. Mariana, COVID. You know, some of the treatments for COVID include things that really dramatically increase your sugar. But there may be a connection between inflammation that's in your body already if you have diabetes and what happens when you get infected with coronavirus. What are some of the things that have been noticed thus far? I mean, talk about a real-world, real-time study. We're learning about it as we speak. Right. So, um, like you said, this is all happening in real time. And in the last year, I think everyone in the United States... um, We've, we've all been doing nothing but testing and treating patients. I mean, that's the reality, to, you know, testing for COVID. And um, please, everyone, if I, besides getting tested for diabetes, get vaccinated, uh, because that's going to be the best way for us to get back to the way things were. And you can do it at Long's at the same time. That's right. All right. <laughs> whether it be at Long's or whether, believe me, in a couple months, they're they're going to have so much vaccine from all these different companies. It's going to be easy. But back to your question, the, the issue with either being pre-diabetic or diabetic is that you've got increased inflammation. You've got increased free fatty acids. Um, you're going from a state of being able to make energy well to not being able to make energy as well. Now you throw in an infectious agent, you know, a respiratory agent that's very aggressive. And we know, you know, Scientists are now seeing that, you know, it it can affect your pancreatic, you know, beta cells can get, you know, infected, they are believing. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, your diabetes is getting worse. The drugs that are given given to you to, you know, change your inflammation can sometimes lead to complications. So um, the protein that the spike protein that, you know, and I think everyone now has seen what a research lab looks like and has seen what COVID looks like, you know, binds um, to a specific receptor um, that's involved, you know, um, in, uh, in the kidney and in blood pressure. And so it's just a mess. It's just you're dealing with um, the other thing with diabetes is that usually 
again, as you age, you become more insulin resistant or pre-diabetic and you become diabetic. And then the other thing is usually as you age, you also gain weight. So you're either overweight. So those are all risk factors. And then you throw them in with diabetes and COVID makes things that that's why you're seeing the risk factors and you're seeing mortality in those individuals. So on a positive note, because I want people (laughs) to feel a little optimistic. All right. Dr. Mao, you can prevent diabetes. Is that right? Give me some positive hope that this is something that we can. You said we have lower rates in the last eight or nine years. Do you project that's going to continue? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can uh, tell you that Um, It is within our ability, each one of us, um, if you have prediabetes, to prevent the onset of you getting full-blown diabetes. And the evidence of the best way to do that is a healthy lifestyle, a modest weight loss, and sustaining that over time um, is the approach that works. All right. That means tonight on the dinner menu is salad with extra broccoli. I want to thank both of you with share for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is Dr. David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk more about health and fitness right here on The Body Show. See you then.